The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Uh, Mr. Cramden, you've just won the award as the safest bus driver of the year, and yet you say that you felt that bus drivers don't get the recognition they should. Well, that's right. You see, uh, this award that I'm getting is a special award. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not a, an award that's given out all the time. And uh, like cops and firemen, they get awards all the time. And yeah, I but, think that a, a bus driver is just as much of a public servant as they are. Yeah, but those awards are usually given out for bravery in the face of extreme danger. Now, uh, when does a bus driver have to show bravery in the face of extreme danger? When? All the time. Huh? <laughs> Only the other day, a lady got on my bus. She's got a dog who must have been six foot high. So she tries to get on the bus with the dog. I said, wait a minute, lady, you can't bring that mongrel in here. She says, how dare you? She says, this dog is worth $10,000. Well, then what did you do? I said, if he's worth that much, let him take a cab. <laughs> Welcome to our 500th broadcast, everyone. It is Thursday, April 13th, 2017. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be and welcome to our show today, where our in-studio guest joins us for another round of informative discussion about what's really bothering Londoners these days. Amir Farahi, welcome again to the show. Good to be here. But before we get underway, let's remind our listeners on this, the 500th journey of our Right Word Path, that they can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave, Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links, including Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, where you can access all of our past broadcasts. Today, we're talking about rapid transit coming to the city. Do you want to kick us off and tell us where we're at now with this whole rapid transit issue? Yeah, so Council just recently decided to essentially hold off on making a decision on where the routes are going to be. Council has been pretty clear. They are in favor of rapid transit. They're in favor of bus rapid transit, to be exact. And so in the next two months, they'll be beginning to do more consultations with the public and determining exactly where the sort of northern route of this is going to be, whether it's going to go through Warncliffe and Western or whether it's going to go through Richmond Street which brings itself uh, the conversation on the tunnel. The tunnel has been the primary concern of the mom-and-pop shops on Richmond Row, but really where we're at is determining where the routes are going to be. And the cost of the rapid transit project as it currently stands is about $560 million, and that's in today's dollars. Nominal, nominal dollars, it's $660 million. Where we were about in 2013 when the business case was first presented was the cost of rapid transit being $380 million. So we've had a series of changes in the business case. We've had a series of changes in the design of the engineering of this whole plan. Mm -hmm. And so where we're at right now is really we're seeing we're seeing quite a bit of opposition, significant amount of opposition from the public, and the politicians are trying to really 
grapple with that and now, see how they can uh, take their feedback into the plan. Is that opposition actually coming from the broader public? Because the voices I'm really hearing from are the downtown business people. Well, I think that if you look at the consultation effort by Shift London, it's been very poor. They've only really been in two to three wards, and they've really only contacted organizations that tend to be in favor of the plan. So the broader public is actually very much unaware of even this BRT in the first place. In fact, they think that, for example, there is no tunnel, or for example, that if there is a tunnel, that it's for buses and cars, when in reality, it's only for buses. So there's a lot of, um, I'd say, a lack of awareness when it comes to this plan, only because the communication efforts of, of the City of London has been extremely poor. And we saw it with the businesses, but we also see it with residents alike. I, 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 I've been hearing that complaint that, oh, well, we didn't do a good job communicating. And I totally disagree with that argument. I think they did an excellent job of communicating. And what they're shocked at is that after communicating what they're planning to do, everybody doesn't like it. So because people are reacting negatively to what they are communicating, even in the best case scenario, they're insisting that the problem is their failure to communicate. How can, they're just going around this loop and they, and never do they talk about the particulars when they're, when they're entering this type of debate. They're just making it a debate about a discussion, about a discussion, about a discussion, about a discussion, and it it never gets down to the concrete reality of it, pardon the pun. (laughs) I I agree with you. I think they've done a, both a poor job of communicating, but I also think that they consider communication as a method of saying, okay, well, we haven't really rammed this thing down people's throat enough. Right. Again, they only consulted about two to three wards and, and, this, and the whole community of 14, 14 wards. And they only went to about 50 to 60 organizations. You got to realize that they considered the mayoral address, the state of the city address as part of their consultation. So when they say we've consulted 15,000 people, 1,500, for example, of that came from the mayoral address where the mayor was just talking to the public. That's, that, according to them, is consultation. That's deception. Absolutely. They're being deliberately uh, deceiving. And they, they considered the booth that they put up for one of the festivals that are related to, you know, there's, I think, kids involved and there's a whole bunch of playgrounds and stuff that usually happen during the summer at Victoria Park. Like, they consider one of those as part of their consultation efforts, even though they just had a booth up and nobody knew what what was going on. So these are kind of examples that show where Shift London has really done a poor job of representing the true numbers and also representing the fact that they didn't consult the general public, but rather a specific Understood. But I, I don't even think there are any true numbers to represent. All these are future predictions and there are no future facts. And so everything is basically guesswork, much of it based on unknown circumstances. But I, I think the whole thing is, is shifty, pardon the pun, because it is a misrepresentation on a gross scale. And the idea that the finished product will be a great boon to London. Everybody's saying, well, it's, it's not the project that everybody's opposed to, it's the construction phase. Has anyone spoken up and said, look, the project itself is not that wise? Other than the LTC, this, this city administration, and, for example, the, the Urban League, I haven't really heard much in terms of people being in favor of this plan as of recent. As it currently stands, the the majority of the growth we're seeing in the city, both in terms of construction of new subdivisions 
and condominiums and, and just in planning applications alone and site plan applications are nowhere close to the rapid transit corridors. In fact, in their current plans, both the LTC and the planning department, they projected a net 85,000 per, uh, person increase from 2006 to 2031. Majority of them are going to be in neighborhoods that are actually nowhere close to the rapid transit corridors. Mm-hmm. And so that begs the question, why is the mayor of this city and Shift London saying and propagating that 115,000 people will live within a 10-minute walking distance to the rapid transit corridors when the majority of the increase in population is not going to be anywhere close to that. I was looking at the terminal points for the proposed routes, and they more or less end at shopping malls. Now, if these are the terminus and the start of the bus rapid transit, people who want to take the BRT will first of all have to park their car those who uh, would have the car. And of course, where are they going to park them? They'll park them in the mall parking lot. Or if they have a bicycle that they want to get onto the, the BRT, where, where are they going to put their, their bike? On the, on the bus, the front of the bus, like they do normally? That's the plan. Now, they haven't really figured out exactly how the parking is going to work, to be quite honest. <laughs> they haven't, and, no. and yet they're going ahead with it. Well, yes, there's a lot of things they haven't figured out, and they want to go ahead with it. And, and so, yeah, you're, you're right. The idea is really with this whole project. It's a social engineering project. It really is. And, I, and, and they've said this. I'm quoting them, that we need to get people out of their cars. Okay, but I was going to that. wait till the end of the show to get into the motivation behind all this, but you, you well, brought it up, and I, I, I agree with you. And, and so the whole point is to, yes, get people to drive to a mall, such as Masonville or White Oaks, drop off their car in the parking lot. I mean, it's already full as you see it on a middle of a Sunday. On a Christmas, you can't even park. There you go. So park your car, get on the bus, and then use the, bu- the dedicated bus lanes to get to downtown. But here, here's, the, here's the point of all this. The, here are the facts. The average saving in the transit journey is about four minutes for this whole network. This is in comparison to the current system that we have. If you're going from downtown London to Oxford and Wonderland, which right now with the LTC takes about 20 minutes. If you're using bus rapid transit, you're going to save a whopping 60 seconds. Wow. And that doesn't include all the extra time to park, all the other things of getting exactly. to the place. Exactly. This is the one thing that the, both the LTC and the City of London are not really taking into consideration. They're just focusing on the grandiose big vision plan that they've got. It's that I have to walk from my house to the bus stop. Maybe it takes 5 to 10 minutes. Then I have to wait because there's a headway. So I have to wait 10, 15 minutes for the LTC to come. Then that LTC bus has to take me to the rapid transit station. Let's say that takes about 5 to 10 minutes. Well, then I have to wait for the rapid transit bus, which off-peak periods is going to take about 15 minutes. On-peak is going to be about 10 minutes. So then I have to wait, let's say, 10 to 15 minutes for this bus to come. Then if I'm going to, let's say from Oxford and Wonderland, like I just said earlier, to downtown, it's going to take me 19 minutes. So then I get to downtown, and then I have to get off the bus, and I have to walk to my workplace or wherever I need to be, and that's going to take 10 minutes. So you add all that up, and now we just got about a, an hour or more of a bus ride just to get to where I need to be, when in fact, if I were to use my vehicle... Or Uber. Or Uber, it would only be about 20 minutes, if not less, maybe 15 minutes 
Assuming there's no BRT route in your way. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. That's another thing that we should bring up in the next break. But going into the break, this is actually taken from CJBK AM radio broadcast with Ken Eastwood and Lisa Brandt back on April the 3rd when they were speaking to Cheryl Ruth. Uh, Cheryl, this is the, uh, the first time we're seeing you since uh, last week's meeting of, uh, of Rapid Transit and the uh, meeting of downtown businesses. How'd it go? It was uh, it was eye opening, and I think it was very beneficial. Did you not take some heat as well? There were some boos and hisses, and um, you know, a few unnecessary comments. And and I I really the message that I think I want to get to people is that you can't try not to take it as a personal attack, and that's how I'm trying not to take it. I've received emails that are just hair raising, and um, nasty comments. You know, people ignoring me in the street and this isn't it's not an us versus them situation this is a citywide issue and please don't take it out on your city councilors and the engineering team and 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 business owners especially um you know we all have to work together we all have to get through this and we will i have absolute confidence that we will it's just going to take some time but being punitive doesn't help anyone Mm -hmm. Uh, you're you're never going to make everybody happy any construction project will have a downside to it for business owners and, and homeowners too in some in some respects. This is a decision council today has to make. Whether they're planning on re-election or if there's people coming up in the city who are looking for an election campaign or if there's people trying to get into a certain party, this isn't about you. This is about London. This is about moving Londoners from point A to point B in the most efficient, cost-effective manner. My right. focus is transit, the transit user, and getting people around this city. And again, if you're using this for your own personal agenda, I'm very disappointed because that's not what this is about. Tito's uh, new buses that you put on the line, they sure are great. Boy. I'm not happy with them. Those transmissions are pretty bad. Yeah, I gotta go along with you. Those transmissions, are... that's probably why they're so difficult to handle. Boy, that's yeah. I'm sorry I'm late, Ralph. I'm sorry I kept you waiting. It took me a year to get cross town on one of those miserable buses your company runs. Uh, this is Mr. Marshall, my boss. Uh, this is my friend, Mr. Norton. Oh, who? How do you do that, Mr. Marshall? Uh, Mr. Marshall has just asked me to teach him how to play pool. He got a new pool table. <laughs> well, you picked the right man, Mr. Marshall. I was never aware until recently how many men play pool. Oh, must be nine out of ten down at the bus depot play. I think, Ralph, that the average is higher than that. <laughs> well... We're in studio with Amir Farahi, and we're talking about bus rapid transit in London, Ontario, the little sleepy burg of London, Ontario. But (laughs) our listeners are all over the world. We broadcast on shortwave in Europe and in the United States, and we have downloads on our website from all over the world. And people may be thinking, how does this affect me? Well, I think London, Ontario is a simple example of a broader agenda, which we can talk about throughout the show. And while we talk about the details here, they're just details of how disruptive this unnecessary venture can be. And I'm sure that there's lots of other small towns and burgs throughout um, North America that have gone through this exact same process. As a matter of fact, 
It's a process that is ripe for lampooning. Many people may have seen the Simpsons episode where they talked about the monorail. You get this snake oil salesman coming into the small town of where the Simpsons live, and they, they try to sell them on this rapid transit system, a monorail. And I feel that we're in, the, in a Simpsons episode here because what we're listening to by the people championing this bus rapid transit in such a small town is nothing more than snake oil. It's deception. It has a broader agenda, a much more sinister political agenda, but we'll get into that. I, a question to you, Amir. What size does a population of a city have to be to justify the disruption to implement a rapid transit system of any size? And just to put the, um, the perspective here for those not familiar with London, it has a population of 381,000, give or take, spread out over 400 square kilometers. London is basically 20, clock, 20 clicks on a side. So there you go. Uh, so what population do you think we should be able to uh, start thinking about bus rapid transit or in any rapid transit? Well, out of the 381,000 people or 382,000 people that live in this city, about 12%, 12.5% of them use public transit. Out of that 12.5%, 50% of them are students. They are here seven months during the year because of our educational institutions of Western University and Fanshawe College. And so the justification that the LTC gives and, and many other transportation commissions in this country is that when you have increasing ridership and they quote, for example, that from 1996 to 2016, 17, we now have 22.9 million riders. That's about a 94% increase in ridership. However, you have to realize that back in 2006, the London Transit Commission recruited a consultant to do a study and examine how they can increase the ridership because at that time it was terrible it was totally on a decline and even now today ridership across the country is on a decline and so back then they they brought in a, a consultant who said you know what the way you increase ridership is you go and ask the student unions at western university and Fanshawe college to pass a referendum and get them to basically put in these universal bus passes that becomes mandatory as part of your tuition costs. And so once they did that, the ridership increased 50% the year after, both on Fanshawe College and Western University's campuses. And so this notion that all of a sudden the greater public is now getting on a bus is not true. In fact, even students don't necessarily use the bus all the time. You have ride-sharing programs like Uber, you have traditional taxis, you have students that bike, that walk, that, you know, that they use different modes of transportation to, to get to where they need to be. So going back to your question of what is the adequate population, there are cities that are smaller than London that have tried to do bus rapid transit. But the reality is, is that London actually has the least amount of traffic in a new recent report in all of Canada. It's literally in the bottom of the list when it comes to traffic and congestion. I drive this city every single day, every single community, and I have absolutely no problem getting around in my personal vehicle, um, except when there's a train at Adelaide Street <laughs> or yes. Central. Yes. Other than that, 
there's absolutely no problem getting around in this town. And what sounds to me, um, with this very small minority, very small percentage of the, um, not even the citizens of London, the people living in London, I should say, using buses or rap- or, or who, who might use the bus rapid transit, they may be able to shave 60 seconds off their trip. But on the other side of that, that means that they are going to be adding a lot of time to a person in a personal vehicle trying to get from point A to point B because what the BRT does is prevent people from turning left. Correct. And if you've ever been to the city of Kelowna, BC, I use it as an example. The name of the street, I think, is Harvey Avenue. Um, I was in there a couple of years ago. I've never been in the city before. Trying to get to my destination, a hotel, going down Harvey Avenue. I pass the hotel on my left. I can't turn left anywhere. I drove for about 20 minutes trying to find a way through parking lots, subdivisions, whatever, just to get to the hotel, which I could visibly see because they have this concrete divide going down their main street. This is what BRT will do in London. It will prevent traffic from taking the shortest route to their destination, adding time to the majority of people's transit. Yes, right now you can probably get from one end of the city to the other end of the city 20, 25 minutes at most. Easily, yes. Yeah. So what this will do is it will double the amount of congestion we have because it's actually going to take away vehicle lanes. You're only going to have one lane for the vehicle if you're just going straight to where you need to be. If you're turning right, there is a little lane that gets added, sort of like a shoulder that comes at the intersection. But really, that's about it. And so I want to put the numbers out there. If you look at, for example, a street like Richmond, you've got about 30,000 vehicles, if not more, in traffic volume a day. Each lane on Richmond Street or in any city has the capacity of about 15,000 vehicles for traffic volume during the day. So right now, Richmond Street has the capacity for 60,000 vehicles. With four lanes. With four lanes. Right. And it's got a traffic volume of 30,000. Now, here's what's going to happen. This is where it becomes an absolutely disastrous sort of scenario, like a a traffic nightmare. Western University is looking to ban cars on its campus. It's part of their strategic plan. No more cars on Western University. The the question is, it's, yeah, it almost It's suicide. Yes. Now, the question is, what is the number of inbound and outbound cars that go to Western University during the day? Well, I can give you that number. It's about 13,000 vehicles. So this is what's going to happen. We're going to have 13,000 vehicles spill over on Richmond Street or on Western Road, which is the two streets that sort of hover around campus. Where, where, by the way, you cannot park. There is no parking on any of the neighborhoods surrounding the university. None, none. So we're going to now have, let's say, 6,500 vehicles added onto Richmond Street and 6,500 vehicles added onto Western Road. Let's just split it in half. 36,500 vehicles for traffic volume on Richmond Street. Now let's introduce the fantastic bus rapid transit system, quote unquote. What that's going to do is it's going to take away two lanes from Richmond Street. So now you're left with only two lanes for vehicles each way. So now you're at capacity of about 30,000 vehicles only, and you've got 36,500 vehicles on Richmond Street. Once you're at 100% capacity, that means cars come to a full stop. Well, then their objective will have been reached. (laughs) Exactly. And that is the point. It is to create the worst kind of congestion you can possibly think of. It's turning London into a city like Toronto 
which traffic becomes a major issue in that kind of that kind of a city and it forces people through their social engineering methods to then get on the bus because they're left with no other choice Interesting in her conversation, Cheryl Ruth, who happens to be the chair of the LTC, the London Transit Commission, London Transit Commission, says this is about moving Londoners from point A to point B in the most efficient, cost-effective manner. Then you should buy everybody a car. Yeah, actually, for the amount of money they're spending, <laughs> you could actually buy everyone that's in that's using public transit a vehicle. Well, Mark Emery, <laughs> when he was a downtown merchant, already figured out that at that time, the LTC, its expense could already have purchased every one of its ridership, a new BMW or something like yeah, that. It was fact, absolutely amazing. You can even add a massive parking garage to that mix in the downtown. It would get, relieve the issue of parking in the downtown. And so it's just, it's mind boggling how much money they're spending. And no, it's not going to be cost effective and it's not going to be efficient. 60 seconds for me to get from downtown to Oxford in Wonderland is not efficient. That's 60 60 seconds seconds for you, by the way, if you're taking the BRT. Correct. It's an extra five, 10 minutes for a person in a vehicle. And there are far more uh, people in vehicles than there are on the the BERT, as they're calling it. Yes. What's interesting too is... Um, Cheryl's talking about her disappointment because she sees people pursuing their own personal agendas. Is she talking about you? Is she talking about people? No, she's talking about herself. She has a personal agenda. Well, she does. She said, she said, right at, she said that right after, my focus is transit. <laughs> right? And when, and when people is... are booing her and making inappropriate comments, you know, they're expressing in the way that they can at the time their disapproval yeah. with her and her personal agenda. And she says, let's not make this a personal attack. Well, how much more personal can you be when you're looking at destroying a person's livelihood? To be quite frank, Cheryl and, and the rest of the people who are in favor of this plan which is a fairly vocal minority, I would say at this point, are trying to put a kilometer-long tunnel that's only used for buses on Richmond Row. Richmond Row in this city is the heart of it, of the whole city. It it really is where the mom-and-pop shops have contributed so much over the past decade. It's a nice stretch, yeah. It's a very nice stretch. Restaurants, uh, theater, uh, clothing shops, bars... And all small businesses. These are small businesses. The construction of the tunnel is going to be such a disaster because there's a stormwater sewer that has put the Carling Creek sort of in a pipe. And to get around that is going to be extremely difficult. And you've got a whole bunch of utility lines. You've got two sanitary sewers that's underneath. You know, you might come across archaeological finds. It's just such a complicated project. They estimate to be $100 million. In the recent updated business case, it's an unknown at this point. But surely so, they must know about these features. These, they these they absolutely do. They absolutely do. But they won't tell the public how much it's going to cost. For example, if they're going to put in pumping stations underneath to make sure that they're pumping the water out because we're literally getting to the water table, if not beneath it, they're not telling us the operating and maintenance cost of that. That's going to be a lot. It's going to be a lot of electricity used. So these are the kind of questions that they won't answer to the public. In fact, the geotechnical study for this tunnel, for example, hasn't even been released to the public. The public does not know about it, even though it's completed. They're holding it within the engineering department. So these mom and pop shops are going to have to go through a five to 10 year construction period of this tunnel, go bankrupt. Absolutely. They have said we we are not going to be operating when this happens. It's just not possible. So we're bringing this thing in, this whole rapid transit plan. We're killing our downtown. We're destroying it. 
And not only that, we're causing such traffic uh, nightmares, tax increases. Absolutely, you will see tax increases for the average commuter. And we're talking about 75% of this city that uses their vehicle, their automobile, automobile to get from point A to point B. Well, we're going to be talking about a tax increase for people who stay at home and just pay their property taxes. Yep. Listen, coming up next is a portion of a conversation again from CJBK, April the 7th, that this was recorded featuring Dan McDonald from Downshift and Christopher Ryan from Shift Happens. Did you come out of that meeting feeling like this was a success for Downshift? Really, yes. When you're spending that much money, there's really not a problem with taking a couple of weeks and just pausing. And we are behind rapid transit. I Let's put that in the table right, right. now because that's some old dodge that was put out there originally. Well, that's one of the big problems is how much misinformation is out there. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's, you know, filtered down to some um, business owners and, and a lot of other people who have made snap decisions on, on whether it's good or bad. We're in a situation where, as in the media, we only get to see certain side of this debate as well. And from, from our side... It looks very heated. It looks very divisive. It looks uh, it looks almost angry. Does it look that way from your side, though, Dan? Well, in the second meeting I attended of Downshift that I was asked to attend, uh, one of the major topics was everybody stay calm, everybody tone down, stop the rhetoric, and just deal with facts. So where is the divide then? If you're both, if you're both saying, okay, this is all right, that uh, you know they take some time and get it right, where is where is your divide? I think where the divide comes in here is that shift happens is is sitting back here and they're wondering, do a lot of the supporters of downshift want BRT? Uh, you heard me say before, we support BRT. Right. We've said this repeatedly. I don't know how many other times to say this in the English language. Well, I, I really don't. I think the problem is because when you say that you you support BRT, there's kind of an asterisk there because it's we support BRT, but not in its current form, correct? Well, absolutely not. Do you want to really build a $100 million tunnel on Richmond Street? Two John Labatt centers, two, uh, two projects of that scope. When it comes to shift happens, what is it that your your members want? What we want most is uh, the London plan. This is about bringing people uh, inward and upward throughout the city. It's about stopping the traditional urban sprawl. Excuse me, the uh, the traditional uh, sprawl. You know, mm-hmm. the solo mm-hmm. car use. It's not a war on cars. You know, by any means, it's it's a multimodal idea that. Uh, London can can be a better community um, with more options. All right. Did you take the bus here today? I did not. Okay. I wondered. The, uh, D- yeah. Dan, uh, <laughs> can you summarize for us in, in a few seconds what you want? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a lifelong Londoner. I've weathered the dreadful service provided by the LTC since I was a small child. Would like to see all sorts of improvements, but I don't want to see those improvements made at the cost to other people. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online.
Thank you to all of our financial supporters who have made it possible for us to reach the 500 broadcast of our journey in the right direction and to share our programming with the world. Visit www.justrightmedia.org to offer your financial support, and while you're there, sample our timeless past broadcasts, all archived for your listening enjoyment at your convenience. Well, we just listened to somebody called Christopher Ryan of a group called Shift Happens <laughs> in favor of the bus rapid transit. And when he says that this isn't a war against the car, to paraphrase, I think that's total bullshit. I think it's deception, and I think that's why they're having a communication failure, because it is a prima facie fact that people in cars will be at a disadvantage with this BRT. It's a fact that taxpayers, uh, on the whole, would be inconvenienced with this BRT. So when he says that they're not against individuals or the cars, people know this shift for exactly what it is. And that's the communication problem. They're, they're covering their actual intent. Now, somebody, a friend of mine once said that every political argument can be broken down into one simple um, idea, and that is that it is the individual versus the collective. Now, for shift happens in the city council and everybody in favor of BRT, that's the collective talking there. For the rest of us, they're the individuals. Driving a vehicle is an individual choice. It allows for choice. And it's everybody, it's, it's the vast majority of Londoners' choice to get around in individual vehicles, even if it's a cab or a Uber or, or a, a, a bicycle. That's a vehicle as well in that sense. But when the collective team up and bully everybody else, destroying their livelihoods, inconveniencing them, taxing them, so that a very small minority of the collective can get to point A to point B 60 seconds fa faster, there's the communication problem they're having because nobody believes them. Absolutely. And here, here are the facts. The business case is saying that we want to convert 4% of automobile users onto public transit. The Transportation and Roads Director of the city, Mr. Edward Soldo, has said we need to get people out of their cars. So to say that there, this is not a war on cars is, is fake. It's bogus. It's not true. It's right there. But even when they say that, what's the reason for saying that? Why would someone even out of the blue just say we need to get people out of their cars? What is the rationale for that? Yeah, why? why? Global warming? <laughs> well, what? so... Envy? <laughs> it's, it's the urbanist philosophy, I would say, of trying to create transit-oriented development is what they call it, TOD. And it's a, basically a fancy word that means creating more density, having people live in densified neighborhoods um, so that they can access everything within a walking distance and they use public transit as a means of getting to where they need to, they need to go. You know, I, I have no problem with that. I really have no problem with that. If you look at cities like New York, Chicago, Toronto, whatever, that's actually a nice way to live for a lot of people. And I don't mind it. The thing is that it has to happen naturally. Yes, and it doesn't work for every single person, right? So if I'm taking my kids to a hockey game, well, I can't carry all that luggage and sure. all, all the hockey sticks and pucks and skates 
on a public transit bus. I can't do that. I mean, think about it. You're 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 a father or your mother. You have two, three kids, and you have to go do grocery shopping. Grocery shopping. You've got to you know put your kids into extracurricular activities. You got to go pick up the your your mom and take them to the family doctor. I mean. You, you can't do all of that in one day on a bus. Well, that's not the demographic they're trying to please. The demographic they're trying to please are the poor little snowflakes going from their uh, rental place on Huron Street or wherever to get into Western or Fanshawe and to, to learn their feminist studies. That's the demographic that these people apparently are trying to placate because it's certainly not the average person on the street in London. No, and actually, if you talk to the that demographic of snowflakes that you're talking about, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm being a little facetious there. Of course, I know of not course, every of Western course. or Fanshawe student is a snowflake. Yes, <laughs> don't melt on me. <laughs> don't be triggered. Don't be triggered. <laughs> <laughs> Find your safe space. <laughs> yeah, but if you if you look at students, for example, there there have been uh, and and they they're sort of categorized into this thing called millennials, of course. There were there have been recent studies and research and data that's come out that says, in fact, millennials are the largest buying segment of the population of automobiles. So now and into the future, millennials are actually going to be the one demographic who are going to be buying cars the most. The reality is that millennials, as it currently stands, if you're going into college, you're probably more likely to get a job. But if you're going to university, it's very difficult at this point in time. So when you don't have a job and you're not making enough money and earnings, then you obviously can't afford to buy a car, of course. So you have no choice but to use public transit. But when you get to a point where you can and you've got a family and you've got kids, well, then then you go out and you buy a car. It's just, it's it's very logical. Now, in places like Toronto, which these urbanists love to study, everyone, for the most part, uses, for example, a subway in Toronto. And there's a reason for that. It's not because they like public transit, for example, or they might, but the reality is, is that they use public transit because it's actually more efficient than using a car. There's more congestion in Toronto. There, it, it, you find it's harder to find parking in Toronto, and so you get everyone using the subway because it's just more efficient. Now in London, we don't have traffic congestion. We don't have five million people either, and we don't have five million people. So there is no need for that. In fact, if you even talk to students, they say our current system is fine. There have been reports, video reports, by the Gazette, which is the university's newspaper, where they've interviewed students. 99% of them said, it's fine the way it is. You know, you could just add an additional 30 to 35 buses onto the existing 200 and fleet, and that would really solve the problem. Well, it would solve the problem for the people who take buses, but I think... Bob can remember when uh, the uh, LTC, the London Transit uh, bus drivers, went on strike, what, about five-ish years ago or so. Um, as a car driver, I never found getting around London to be so much of a pleasure and, and fast because there were no buses on the roads occupying that right-hand curb lane. You actually beat me to it. I was going to suggest perhaps a better plan is to get rid of the LTC entirely and go back to all private public transit, because public doesn't have to be government-run. Public can be run by the private sector mm -hmm. as well. And uh, I think you'd have a much more efficient uh, way, because when they were on strike for a while, we talked about it on this show, and we were so pleased with, 
getting around everywhere, even on campus. Everything was smooth. Everyone had discovered alternate ways yep. of getting around. Didn't take long, and that's why the strike didn't last any longer. But the but the LTC lost a lot of ridership, and that might be another reason why they added some more freebies onto the system to keep it viable. But, you know, there's so many interests at play here. You've got the university. You've got downtown. I was listening to Dan McDonald of Downshift, and I think one of the most dangerous things that I hear people saying, and, and I consider it a sort of an epistemological disaster, and that's to say that they're supporting rapid transit but not the current proposal. Well, the current proposal is called rapid transit. I think what they're really supporting is something I would call basic improved bus service, not rapid transit. Because as long as you use that word, you're in, you're in the enemy camp. And I think they have to learn not to use the language of the enemy. You've got to create your own language so people can understand you. And that was the whole conversation between Lisa and Ken. And, and then, you know, whose side are you on? Where are you on? How come, how come we're so confused, right? Because they're using the same terms. Absolutely. And, and it's very interesting going back to your point about, you know, individualism and collectivism. You can see that the side that always takes on the collectivist narrative tends to use words that sound great, but they're really there to mask what is a disaster. And so, for example, they introduce words like rapid. Yeah. When really it's not rapid at all. Right? It's we actually just talk, slower for most people. It's yeah. slower. So they're very picky with the words that they use. It's Orwellian. It is very Orwellian. Absolutely. It, is a, it has to be. Yes. And, and when you're selling a lie, you have to lie. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So, so, so this, is, this is an ongoing thing, right? We've talked about this before. You know, on the previous show, we talked about sanctuary cities. And again, sanctuary city sounds good, but it's not. But I think it's important to note that when they say something, when, they, when for example, Cheryl Ruth comes and says cost effective and efficient, well, that sounds great. But it's not efficient and it's not cost effective. If you do the analysis, if you add the operating costs, the maintenance costs, and the capital costs for this project, you get somewhere close to about a billion dollars. And the actual cost to benefit ratio, the benefit to cost ratio goes below one, which means for every dollar that we're investing into this, we're getting actually 95 cents back, which is what I actually break down in my most recent column. So this is not a you know, the costs of this project actually outweigh the benefits. It's very clear. It begs the question, why are we doing this? And the reason for that is simple. It's social engineering at the its finest. The destruction of know, the individualist mindset and their use of a personal vehicle. Yeah. This whole, this whole cost-benefit thing, too, is, 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 I think, BS. Because it's the cost to person A, benefit to person B. Not, not even that. that. That's an illegitimate way of, of, of measuring anything. You can't, you can't say that the cost-benefit ratio is this when you're talking about two different parties involved in each half of that transaction. That's and, just immoral. And, and, here, and, and on top of that, here's why these people who are introducing this concept and this project in general are not credible at all. And I'll, I can prove it to you right now. Back in 2013, they introduced the business case. They said that the cost-to-benefit ratio, or the benefit-to-cost ratio, rather, is 1.8, which means for every dollar we invest in, we get $1.80 back. Today, it's 2017, and the benefit-to-cost ratio in their most recent updated business case is 1.1. 1.1. So for every dollar now we invest in, we get a dollar. So that, that begs the question. You know, three months down the I don't, road. I don't understand. Where do we get this money back? I don't. What's this investment? I, I don't see an investment at all. I see a money pit. The way they they consider the benefits is this, and again, the methodology they've used here is is extremely subjective. The fact that it's reduced by from one point eight to one point one 
meaningless. on the same business case yeah. just goes to show you that this whole thing is meaningless. But really, it's to point out that um, these people, you know, when they said, for example, the capital cost of this project is going to be $380 million, and today we learned that it's going to be $660 million nominal, that goes to show you that these people are not telling you the truth. So, you know, a year or two down the road, the cost of this is going to be way higher. The benefit to cost ratio is going to be way lower. And we're going to come to realize that. And then we're going to say, well, why do we elect these people, these incompetent politicians who went ahead with everything that they were told by staff? And, and, and again, it's going to be an absolute disaster for this community. Now, you see, in order you know, to get Mr. the Marshall, I was oh. just thinking, I was just yeah, thinking, you know, uh, down at the bus company where you got plenty of them, why don't you just set up a recreation room and set up a couple of pool tables and the fellas can play pool? Recreation room? Well, certainly. Yeah, most of the bus drivers have a quick lunch and they got time off and they'd like to shoot a couple of games of pool. It's a relaxing game. I mean, to kind of phrase, a relaxed bus driver is a efficient bus driver. Now, in order to stroke... Well, that's a very interesting suggestion, Norton. You know, my greatest concern has always been easing the strain on my drivers. Uh, What with the traffic, overcrowded buses trying to maintain a schedule, they have their problems. I like a man who can think on his feet. Thank you. Say, Ralph, what do you think of that suggestion? That's very good. Now, here's how you stroke, Mr. Marshall. You're talking about buses running on schedule and everything. Have you ever thought of running odd and even buses? Odd and even buses? Certainly, the odd buses stop at the odd streets. The even buses stop at the even streets. <laughs> See, blitz up the crowd, uh, the buses keep rolling, and you're on schedule. You know, that's a very interesting, a very, very good thought. Hey, Mr. Norton, how would you like to come to work for me? Hey, work for you at the, at the bus company? Yes. Now, for a long time, I felt the need in our organization for a man who understands the driver's problems, for, for a, a bus driver supervisor. A man who, a man who really can understand their problems, find ways of alleviating them, and, and, and raise their morale. Now, from the few things I've heard from you tonight, you'd fit that position perfectly. Why don't you sleep on it and get back to me tomorrow? I would. I, I, I'm on the late shift tomorrow. It'd be all right if I get into your office a little before noon. Fine, fine. You come straight up to my office, and if there's time, we'll have lunch together. Good, good thinking. Good. Ralph, I want to thank you for introducing me to Mr. Norton. Now. Let's see that break shot. Sixteen years I worked for that company. Where am I? Same spot I was in when I started. Norton meets the boss one day, makes a couple of suggestions. Look where he gets Ralph, I'm not going to have you talk that way. You are a very valuable man in that company. I'm going upstairs. Why, Ralph? Going up, tell Norton I'd hide. I'm sorry I yelled at him and that I congratulate him. Uh, I'd like to see you a minute, Ralph. Uh, I wanted to see you, too. Well, uh, I owe you an apology. An apology? Uh, yeah. If it hadn't been for Trixie having such a good memory, uh... I would have really done you uh, an injustice. I was upstairs talking to her about my idea about odd and even buses, you know. And she reminded me of, of your idea for alternate buses. Alternate buses? Yeah. Remember when you was having dinner at our house one night, you were sounding off about the bus schedule and everything, you said, why don't they have alternate buses? 
Oh, I said to Mr. Marshall, odds and even bus. You said alternate. Uh, it was your idea. I just used different words. I got, yeah. to, I got to thinking of it, but uh, all of these suggestions that I gave to Mr. Marshall were yours. I just gave them to him in a different form of words, that's all. I guess the ideas were just stuck in the back of my head from listening to you. But your trouble is you tell me all the wonderful ideas. Instead, you should be telling them to Mr. Marshall. <laughs> Boy. Tonight, I was so proud of myself. I thought I had a wonderful head on my shoulders until I found out it was yours. So clearly there seems to be a credibility gap between the people promoting rapid transit, so-called rapid transit, and the people <laughs> who are stuck with the bill for paying this. Uh, has this been tried before? And I mean, you were referring to the Auditor General pointing out some, some what, some <laughs> inconsistencies? In yes, the Auditor General looked at and examined a series of rapid transit projects in the GTA that were administered by Metrolinx. In 2016, she produced a report, and the report states that the engineers that were hired by the various municipalities in the GTA, the consultants who did the engineering work, the design, the specifications, and the costing of the projects were in many cases, for example, 35% over budget, had major errors in their designs, major errors in their uh, specifications of exactly where the routes should be, where the stations should be, all that sort of thing. And so this goes to show that if you actually look at that report, the Auditor General did a really good job of examining and really telling the public that these consultants are there to please and to serve the various departments and the departments within these municipalities offload the risk onto the consultants and that there are so many inaccuracies and so many errors and really the plans that they produce are faulty at its at its best. So that's something that we got to consider when we look at the various numbers we're told, you know, when people say it's going to be cost effective and efficient and all sorts of things. We have to realize that the Auditor General actually went through all of that and realized it's actually the, quite the opposite. But you know that doesn't matter to the people in charge. It doesn't matter to the people in favor of this BRT or the City Council because of their philosophy. Their political uh, motivations for this, will, it will go ahead regardless of the cost. It will go ahead regardless of the, uh, of the facts and of any information that may be today incorrect, but they will fix it as they proceed with it because they have an agenda. Yes, and, and you have to look at, absolutely, you have to look at exactly where this rapid transit plan came from. It really came from the planning department. And I encourage everyone who's listening to look up the concept of planning fallacy. What the planning fallacy concept says is that planners oftentimes become so optimistic about their plans that they develop an optimism bias. And that optimism bias really does not allow for them to look at the specific details and the breakdowns and the opera, uh, opera the operating um, aspects of these plans. So they're no, not that's, a- that's that's always government plans though because they have yes. a reason to be optimistic because they've got the taxpayer on the hook and they don't have to turn a profit. They don't have to worry about <laughs> the, the money, right? Because they can just, you know, just keep sucking money out right. of people as much as they want. And so what happens is what I just stated where the Auditor General looks at these things and realizes that there's, the cost overruns are massive. You look at Waterloo, just for rapid transit, I'm not talking about any other projects that are doing, just for rapid transit in Waterloo, from 2011 to 2019, 
the overall tax increase is going to be about 13%. 13% just for rapid transit. We're not talking about all the other things they do. Here in London, we're getting about 2.9% increase annually with this mayor that we've got on things that are not even related to rapid transit. So just imagine how much your property tax bill is going to be in the next 10 years if this plan goes ahead. You know, a number of uh, years ago, a number of shows ago, we talked about an urban planner called Andres Duani. He's a neoclassical urban planner who lives in Florida, I believe. He gave a talk in Toronto about 30 years ago. I happened to see it on TVO or whatever. I sent away, got the video of it, showed it to my friends, because in it, he points out exactly some of the problems you're talking about, about the planning department's uh, becoming sort of behemoths of themselves, um, um, self-generating, uh, megalithic, monolithic, <laughs> legacy project-producing yep. devices where you get sidewalks that go to nowhere. You get um, 16, 32-lane highways, you know, that, that are jam-packed full of vehicles. You get subdivisions that you have to spend five minutes in, minutes getting out of to get to a, a, a proper street. Um, it's all part and parcel. I've seen the destruction of this city in the last 30 years as a deliberate attempt by city planners and politicians to make life miserable, <laughs> more miserable in this city. It, it, if it's the so-called traffic calming measures, which destroy your vehicle because you can't necessarily see the outjutting curb in snowbanks, or Those things are absolutely a monstrous invention. I just cannot believe some of the roads I see in this city. Yeah. There's one subdivision I go through just across the way from here, and the road is so narrow around a curve in a subdivision that if there were two cars approaching or one had to stop, the, the traffic would be stopped right there for no reason. They just put an island out in the middle of yeah. the road. Yeah, it's called traffic calming, but what it really is is somebody in the planning department read some paper about how this is beneficial to the community at large and it slows traffic down, making it better for pedestrians and harder for the individual in their vehicles. Again, it's the collective versus the individual. And so now you have this mindset going through planning departments, destroying towns, and at some point in time, it's got to come to a head, and all of this has got to be reversed when you get somebody in there with some guts to yes. do it. Yes, and, and, and I've been saying this. I think that the winning platform of 2018 municipal elections should be one in which that simply says, clean house. Get rid clear, of... Clean, drain the swamp? <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, get rid of all these incompetent, stupid politicians and administrators and really actually get rid of the entire leadership at the, on this city. Because to be quite honest, this city has been deteriorating. And I'm sure there are other cities in the world that are facing very similar plot problems where you have administrators and you have politicians and you have really at the leadership level a bunch of incompetent and really stupid. The thing is, yeah. Amir, the thing is that <clears throat> it's not just a particular person we're talking about here, because it happens year after year, generation after generation. Yes. I remember when it first started in the city of London, when I first moved here, I noticed that they had done something on Dundas Street in front of the old Hudson's uh, department store, which used to be a fixture for a lot of people back in the 60s, 70s and that. What they did was to make it more pedestrian-friendly by taking out parking spots, making the road curve, reducing it from four lanes to two. What happened? All the businesses on that stretch from Glebe to Adelaide closed 
They yes. shut down because nobody could go there because of parking. And what did they do for the rest of Dundas Street all the way to Richmond? The exact same thing. They didn't make a curve, but they put out jutting places to plant the stupid trees that, that don't grow. They just are little scrawny things. And they reduced parking. And then they brought the welfare office down at Dundas and Richmond. And now all you get downtown are druggies, people in dire straits, panhandlers. Yep. The businesses are closing and shuttering. And it's a deliberate attempt. And we're handing out 2.6 million needles annually, uh, going back to what you're saying. And a lot of that stuff happens on in the downtown. And you have to realize that these planners, for example, they've approved massive, massive subdivisions in the peripheries of the city, massive commercial corridors and districts in the peripheries of the city. You look at the Southwest plan. Oh, I know, yeah. Right? And then, they, trail in that, yeah. and then they say, well, why do we have vacancy in the downtown? They say, well, uh, we're not going to widen roads. Well, really, you just approved millions and millions of square feet worth of space for developers to build in the peripheries of the city, and you're going to have to widen roads for that. So when they say we're not going to widen roads, that's that's just not true. And when they say they're against suburban sprawl, that's an outright lie. Absolutely, and we're seeing it. We're seeing condominiums like twenty stories being built in mid, like a middle of a farm. Yep, and <laughs> that's, that's true. It's like ridiculous. <laughs> and so, you know, again, going going back, even to the parking issue, right? They say, well, there is adequate parking in the downtown. People should not be concerned about parking. Well, really, the statistics show that 55,000 people work downtown, 7,000 people live downtown, and there's about 1.8 million visits in the downtown annually in total. But there's only 15,000 parking spots for all those people. Right. So, again, it's just a lie. It's lie after lie after lie, and, and they're trying to deceive the public. Well, as our time wraps up, I think one of the biggest lies that we're facing is that our politicians are arguing that the conversation on rapid transit has been going on long enough <laughs> and that it's time to take that vote and reach a consensus. Although what I see happening here is that they're not even trying for either a consensus or consent, and what they're trying to do is bypass both of those very necessary things in a, that we would think would be necessary in a free society. Would you agree? Yeah, I think they've had their minds made up. You know, you look at, you listen to one of the counselors on, on the horseshoe and they've said that we've already made a decision on rapid transit. That keeps getting reiterated time right. and time again. We've already made a decision. My colleagues are not going to overturn their decision. We're going ahead with this, regardless of where the people stand. And the people are the majority. Again, 75, 76% of the city use their vehicles. And if you don't include if you don't include students, that's something like 96%. Right. I don't think they're thinking this through. They're not being critical. When the mayor uh, is told by staff that the reason why we should go ahead with Richmond Street for one, the northern route instead of, let's say, Warrencliffe and Western, he was told that there are more people working on Richmond Street than on Warrencliffe and Western. The, the, the quote was something like 17,000 people working on Richmond Street versus 4,000 people working on Warrencliffe and Western. Not once did the mayor ask exactly what methodology did you use to get to those employment numbers? Because the biggest employment center there is on Richmond, and really probably the only one, is St. Joseph's Hospital, and they have about 4,000 employees. So that question wasn't asked. See, the, the thing with these politicians, and this is why I call them incompetent, is because they don't ask critical questions. They simply accept everything that they're told by staff as if staff are somehow the messiah of the city. 
Well, maybe you should forward them a copy of this show where some critical questions actually <laughs> get asked. So, Amir, thank you for joining us again, and I'm sure we'll have you back on this issue. It's not going to go away. It's going to be with us for a while. And in the meantime, we're looking forward to show 501 next week, and be sure to join us as we continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be all right. Mr. Norton, tell me something. What, uh, what kind of work do you do? Well, I, uh, I'm employed by the city. I see, in a white collar job? No, you'd say it was uh, more of a white collar job. <laughs> I'm a uh, underground engineer. Oh. He uh, works in a sewer. That's a layman's way of putting it. Well, Mr. Norton, tell me something. Have you ever ridden in your friend's bus here? Oh, yes. I ride my friend's bus every opportunity I get the chance because I'm assured of a comfortable, smooth, safe ride. Mm-hmm. And besides that, he lets me ride on the bus for nothing. 